but is, is the conversation about the about our world about politics about the news is the conversation more constrained right now than ever before no i think quite obviously the opposite it is less constrained than ever before in human history it is easier to speak and to share and, and to and to and to broadcast and to connect and to communicate than ever before in human history Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Parton, and you're listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture. This week, my guest is Reason Magazine's senior editor, Robbie Suave, who recently published his newest book, Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future. This work focuses heavily on how the societal panic around the dangers of social media have been overblown and how this panic has been used to justify potentially harmful governmental policies that could increase censorship and limit free speech. In this conversation, we explore this dynamic in detail, in addition to talking about the role of advertising, mental health issues in young women, the polarization taking place between American political parties, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Robbie Suave. In that case, I think the best place to start, where I love to start with people who have written books, especially ones that I'm interested in, is what motivated you to write the book? What was the initial spark that made you think this was a topic worth investing so much of your time into? It's a great question. Uh, I would say that I was seeing a lot of people on the right. Uh, I'm a libertarian. I'm in you know different media spaces, but I was seeing a lot of interest and activity coming from the political right toward regulating social media or toward concerns with social media that to me were so they were saying things that i was i was more i had heard more of from the past from progressives uh from liberals from democrats on you know how social media is bad or i mean those ideologies just kind of having you know more a greater willingness to involve government and involve regulation and then suddenly i was hearing that from the right now that's that's no longer surprising because obviously there's where this is a very different uh, Republican Party, one that is more hostile to um, large, to big business, uh, to corporate interests, or one that perceives that corporate interests are more hostile to the political right as well. So it is a very different world anyway. But I I thought that was notable. So it made me want to look at social media more closely and see to what extent I thought the criticisms which are just coming from everywhere i mean right now that's all we're talking about right now is obviously elon musk and twitter but uh, social media and, and what to do about it is just this topic that everyone is so interested in and i was seeing a lot of agreement among people i don't agree with generally like on different sides i don't agree with and they were all coming together and saying that this was a big problem we have to do something about it and i just wanted to explore the idea of what if that's all wrong and hmm. what if it's not as big a problem people think and what if these solutions are not really good solutions. So what were some of the key areas where you saw that agreement or that you think were had responses that were overblown or exaggerated or or maybe just not even warranted at all? There's a lot of so there's a lot of agreement that something should be done. 
there is not uh, in the most uh, i think kind of politically relevant right now uh sphere which is the kind of content moderation or speech on these platforms the two factions the two sides team red team blue whatever you want to call them are totally diametrically opposed on what the problem is so broadly speaking liberals progressives democrats think social media allows way too much speech and needs to be more tightly regulated or there needs to be more gatekeeping involved and if the platforms themselves won't would, won't do it then the government should and then the right has the completely opposite view that far too much speech that ought to be written and shared is being suppressed uh, either clumsily or maliciously and if, if the government is going to do something it should be to force these companies to not do that uh, then there is now that's that issue there is a tremendous uh, I, th I think where the two sides seem to overlap the most is in the kind of harms to children mm. consideration about social media there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of reporting um, my my friend who I he is my friend we might disagree on this I think he's a wonderful scholar in general uh, Jonathan Haidt uh, has been really sounding the alarm about the problems of mental health and well-being that social media poses so there there is a a lot of interest in doing something to address that problem um i am not i'm not sufficiently persuaded that the problem is maybe as vast or as serious as a lot of people including jonathan are, are making it out to be and i'm even less impressed by the so the so-called solutions on the table so that's the general approach of the book some of these problems i, I think are are serious problems i think they pose the platforms pose serious national security problems to some mm -hmm. extent uh but the solutions are really god-awful if you look at them or what's been proposed is deeply unsatisfying like at best and in many cases very counterproductive uh th there are some so-called solutions to the social media problem that just would make the problems worse in very obvious ways and, yeah. and that was what i was interested in exploring what are some of those solutions that like terrify you most? Because it seems like in a lot of ways, what I've heard from, you know, interviews with you and from your book is really just a fear of giving too much power to the government to handle this situation. Is is that your core fear? Or are there other aspects involved here? That, that is my core fear. And, you know, cards on the table, like ideologically, I am a libertarian. I, I am, you know, for practical and moral and legal and philosophical reasons. I am suspicious and worried about giving the government more power or more ability to interfere in our lives, interfere in private company decision making. So, yeah, that is absolutely the standpoint I come from. So people should always take that, you know, with a grain of salt. Of course, I would say that because that's kind of my anchoring ideology. But in it, it, it seems so obvious then when you look at the specific solutions so the main one i talk about in the book which now some people have moved away from but it really was the in vogue idea it still is an in vogue idea for many uh, in the democratic circle and then republicans were very interested in it for at least a while changing section 230 mm. which is this uh the federal statute that, that kind of governs how uh, all internet spaces but social media spaces in particular operate and and it has been it's seen as and what it does is is very simple is it, it delineates the platform from the speak from the speaker of the speech on the platform it, it asserts that you know you or i using twitter or facebook or whatever it is or, or you know producing this podcast we are speaking as ourselves 
So if, if I say something that is defamatory, I can be sued for that. Um, just like, you know, if I wrote something defamatory in my book, you could sue me. But unlike the book, in, case, in which case you can also sue the publisher of my book, you can't sue Facebook for my speech on Facebook. You can't sue Twitter for my, my speech on Twitter. You can only sue, sue me. The platforms themselves are shielded from that liability. Um, Republicans have got it in their head that this is some kind of like special giveaway or subsidy for these companies, but it, that totally contrasts with their goal, which is to have more, a, a goal that I don't think is unreasonable. I am also concerned about heavy-handed moderation and, and too much legitimate speech being taken down by these platforms. I absolutely share that goal. There have been so many high-profile examples of you know, the platforms being utterly too inclined toward censorship or whatever you want to call it. But if you increase their liability risk, if, if you make it so that the platforms themselves are more likely to be, to be sued for, for speech that is provocative on the platform, what you're going to do like very instantly, like overnight, is make the platforms want to take down more speech. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the get rid of or change or tweak section 230 idea I, like i don't understand and in this book i'm trying to persuade mainly people on the right that it is a bad idea if their goal is more speech on these platforms then taking away this liability protection would be like shooting yourselves in the foot immediately i mean i i think would facebook or twitter go to like an all like only verified people are allowed to talk maybe how would that benefit the right i, I guess i understand i just disagree with it i understand why you know, maybe some uh, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, other you know leading Democrats have said, yes, we should get rid of Section 230. But their goal is to punish these platforms. They, they, they very much do want less speech on these platforms. Mm -hmm. They they kind of take the view that as far as I can tell, it's like an ideological predisposition toward newsmakers and experts should be the ones who can talk at will, not uh, not regular people. It's kind of kind of, with that. kind of ensuring the Overton window stays narrow and polite. Right, which, yes, absolutely, which is the, I think, the kind of, um, I mean, that, that's what you're seeing in all this criticism of Elon Musk or a lot mm -hmm. of it coming from, uh, the, you know, mainstream liberals or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call them, this hostility towards social media. And I tell conservatives this all the time when they're like, big tech out to get us. I'm like, you know who is the most anti-big tech? It's the New York Times. It's the Washington Post. It's It's the... The mainstream media, newspapers mm. hate that these technologies have made the conversation more freewheeling and more open than ever before. I mean, for all the, the complaints or the, the, the concerns we hear about censorship, which, again, I, I don't think they're off base. I, some of these calls I also thought were bad. But it, is the conversation about, the, about our world, about politics, about the news, is the conversation more constrained right now? than ever before? No, I think quite obviously the opposite. It is less constrained than ever before in human history. It is easier to speak and to share and, and, to, and, to, and to broadcast and to connect and to communicate than ever before in human history. And we, we should be thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I think that's a good thing. I, I think when the speech is constrained by just a few so-called knowledgeable experts, you know, we can miss we can miss obvious things because the expert, that's not to say they're always wrong or we should just only listen to conspiracy theorists or something, but oftentimes mainstream voices are missing something. They get something wrong. And I, so I'm grateful 
for the regime we ha- we have right now, which is much freer and much more open than at any point in my life. And I, I'm quite sure any point in the like development of the human species. So let's let's keep that in perspective. In theory, I, I agree with you. But in practice, I'm not sure that I do, um, specifically because I wonder if the influence of social media to kind of force trending topics and in almost in like a cancel mm-hmm. culture kind of way, you know, push people towards certain narratives seems like it could kind of calcify the conversation rather than expand it. So I used to be very concerned about this, the so-called siloing effect. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard about this, I think when I was in college, I was very concerned that people quickly filter and sort themselves into like-minded bubbles. And so they're only interacting with you know, eventually on social media. They're in these, you know, these clicks, you're really just hearing extreme stuff from your own side and you're not seeing the rest of it. And, and so this, instead of expanding communication, it will, it will shrink it. Um, but everything I've heard subsequently about the siloing effect has suggested to me that that idea is wrong or is not as scary or something to be worried about as we are. Because you have to say, compared to what? Like that mm. certainly can happen. People can bubble themselves off and become more extreme. But it turns out that prior to social media, people's bubbles are pretty siloed. I mean, if you go back far enough in time to the most extreme, they're extreme. They're they're only siloed. You you know, you grew up in your village. You were whatever religion you were born into. You never left your village. You right. You agree with your neighbors on everything. You hate and distrust the other, which is like anyone outside the town you were born in. Uh, real life can be very siloing. Social media, though it can have a siloing effect, does still force people to interact with people that they don't agree with or wouldn't have heard of and to encounter perspectives they would have no idea about. And, and there's no, the kind of control that mainstream media used to hold over that process is, is broken in, I, I think, a good way. Now, the kind of, you know, you're getting a little bit into the, well, what about, you know, the kind of mobbing or the canceling type stuff. And yeah, look, I, I have written a lot about that. I, I think, it's a terrible phenomenon. Um, we are far too vicious to people. The whole cycle of you know finding something you tweeted from 10 years ago or like when you were a little kid is just awful. Um, it's not, social media has certainly fueled it because it, it makes it possible because there's a written record or, or video record of everything everyone's ever said. And I feel really bad for kids these days in this sense that they're, you know, mm. they're growing up. Like, thank God there's my, you know, the things I said when I was an idiot teen are, gone, are lost forever. Now there's a living record of, of what people do and say. Uh, that is bad. That is a downside of social media. Still, the the kind of mobbing, it's still people doing it. It's still mm-hmm. like it's letting people off too easily to say, oh, there's social media did a thing. There, go. People are doing this. Um, and often it's actually fueled by the mainstream media, right? It, it's, it's, it's Often it's not actually a thing until it's legitimized by some reporter who will then write about it happening. That's just a norm of journalism that could easily be changed. Like, don't do that. In my own reporting, I have moved away from naming people in stories if I'm calling mockery onto that person, but they're not an important or notable person. Like I I did a lot, I do a lot of reporting on campus theatrics, the crazy student activists doing things I think are stupid. Well, if they're just, I, I just like stop using their names so they won't be harassed because while I think they are worthy of criticism and the thing they are doing is of public note, you don't need to know their name so you can, you know, try to destroy their lives forever. So that's just a norm of journalism that I would encourage to change. 
do you think that there's an impetus then on some kind of regulatory body or on these companies to recognize that things like that are happening and to step in and say, you know, we can do better? Like where, where does the impetus, I guess, lie in terms of who says we notice there are certain kind of harms happening or we, let's just say we notice humans do a thing. Like you mentioned before, it's just humans doing this thing. But the tool, the technology, social media does seem to amplify its ability for that thing to be exacerbated and to, to be, you know, uh, more amplified. So is there some place where we have to say as a society, you know, we step in and prevent harm as a society. That is a kind of our collective goal. Do we do that here? I can't imagine a regulatory infrastructure that deals with this in a manner that is that is actually useful and is uh, preventing more harms than it's causing and mm. also satisfies First Amendment scrutiny. I mean, the, the government, you know, to be frank, is very prevented. It, you know, they, they could change the liability protection because that's, you know, that is not guaranteed by the First Amendment. But at, on some level, right, the First Amendment does prohibit the government from having compulsory speech policies of private companies. And this is among our, you know, most um, thoroughly, uh, you know, explored from a judicial standpoint questions there is, right? A lot of legal questions are, are up for debate. But if anything, our, our Supreme Court has been pretty decisive on excuse me, mm -hmm. recovering from bronchitis. I, la I lost my voice in the middle of my, my show last week. Um, but I'm doing better now. So I don't know. The Supreme Court has been very clear that the government just, like cannot ban speech it doesn't like, even if none of us like it, even if mm -hmm. we think this phenomenon is bad. So I don't, I don't quite see how they could address it in this way. So do you think the concern over the harm to children could be a bit of a red herring in this case when the real concern is something that's more that's maybe more about political power maybe about free speech yeah look this is a this is how i came to this issue is recalling all the previous moral panics mm. i remember when we were told violent video games were turning kids into mass shooters you know this was confidently asserted and used to defend the idea that violent video games should be restricted by the government and then two things happen. One, we found out that there's no evidence whatsoever that violent video games steer kids toward violence. If anything, that it is the opposite in that kids who are, the, you know, the small minority of sociopathic young men who are predisposed, predisposed toward violence might actually find video games as a comparatively healthy outlet. That was one thing. And the other thing was that again, the Supreme Court very unequivocally said, no, <laughs> the government cannot restrict access to violent video games and then before that it was comic books and before there, there's actually a long history of moral panics in the communication space that, that goes vastly beyond what i was even aware of until i did some research for this book the newspapers the new york times has this long history of condemning whatever the new technology is as going to ruin society everything from tv you know we all remember tv but also radio they had this panic about uh, listening to the radio in the car, or just listening to the radio in general, how it'd be alienating for society. Uh, the phonograph, they said the same thing. It, it's like everything, everything in the communication space that comes out gets condemned by whatever the existing means of communications is because they compete with it and they don't want to compete with it. But with children specifically, look, 
Jonathan Haidt makes some good arguments that Instagram in particular is not a healthy platform. There, there are negative health outcomes for a subset of a subset of users, teen girls. And even here, we're not talking about all or most teen female users of the platform, but a subset of those who are having negative body image issues because of how Instagram specifically curates feeds of you know very attractive very not photoshop but you know put in better lighting uh and it encourages you to see people that way and then maybe you feel bad about yourself there's a social competition aspect of it that again is not unhealthy for most people but there is a specific user base that he will point to um studies of uh, or surveys of 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 mental health and uh, you know risk of suicide and and see and say that there is something to be concerned about there so I, I have kind of accepted that. Uh, I, look, I'm, I'm, that is a legitimate issue. I would certainly, uh, I don't have children, I don't have teenagers, but if I did, I would certainly want to talk to them about their social media use. I'd want to be careful. I, I would want to delay the age at which they join social media or that they get smartphones. I, I think all of that makes sense. I have no problem with recommending or empowering parents to make better choices for their kids. But none of that, again, is at the level of government policy. So... Aside from the children, though, I would argue that there is differences between something like a newspaper, the radio or TV, right, and social media in that social media does track data on people. It does create psychological profiles. It does operate as a medium through which we communicate, which is, you know, as a libertarian and as someone who supports free speech, I imagine would you would support mm -hmm. the idea that that communication is crucial to society. Isn't there something to be said that there's likely some seriously negative consequences or, uh, I guess, validity to the concern that this technology is different than the other ones? Well, yeah, the, the technology is, is different and there are concerns. I don't think all of the concerns are founded. Like there's a lot of I don't know if you saw that with the Social Dilemma movie. Yeah, which I thought was one of the most wildly propagandistic films I've ever seen. And it was primarily about how there's something nefarious about what social media is doing or that the movie thought was nefarious and i don't think it's very nefarious at all there these sites are learning about you and then they take what they've learned about you to provide advertisements that are relevant to your interest to sell you things so i guess if you think the entire project of capitalism or advertising is is just de facto nefarious then you would also find this nefarious but remember that these are free services. Like you don't pay to use Facebook. You don't pay to use YouTube. In order for these companies to make money, they're selling, again, a curated user experience to you that they think that will induce you to buy products so they can make money off advertisements. Advertising is nothing new. They've gotten it. They've made it better. It's not mind control, but it is better that I am seeing advertisements that are relevant to my interests. Like I, if I just watch the TV, I see what I, I might see a, such a range of commercials that you, you want to fast forward through them. They're, they're pointless. They're not relevant to my interests. It's better that Facebook actually shows me, you know, a new suit I might buy or more, more likely a board game I might buy. Right. It, it, that's that's actually an improvement unless you think and I, I don't buy. I don't accept the, the social dilemma makes it out to be a kind of mind control that they that they social media has figured out how to hack the human brain. And we're now we're just automatons and we have no agency and we're just, you know, we're just doing their bidding. They can control us. I don't 
I, I think that's BS. I really do. I, I'm not persuaded that that's what they're doing. And in fact, this is what they said advertisers were doing in the 1960s, the whole subliminal messaging uh, panic, which is, again, made up that it's not true. Subliminal messaging is 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 false. It's not a it's not a real thing. It's not true that they can embed mess that they could embed messages like that. And then all of a sudden you're going to buy that product. It's not true. They made it up. Advertisers knew at the time it wasn't true. I think something akin to that is going on here. Yes, they, they've they've gotten better at selling you ads, uh, or at, at, at giving you ads that are relevant to you, and then selling you the the underlying product. But I again, I, I just don't see that it's as nefarious as, as people say. Now, how right? What information are they collecting on us? Who are they sharing it with? You know, is it is the government collecting it? Is it being shared with foreign governments? There are a lot of ways you can worry about that. To that degree, and again, as, as I said earlier, and as I indicated in my book, the national the national security implications are a little scary to me. TikTok is the company to be worried about. None of these, for what like I saw, Jeff Bezos was complaining that well, what if, what if uh, Elon Musk's um, need to uh, appease the Chinese government in terms of his other products, the Teslas and things, what if that you know, induces him to to engage in or to change Twitter so that there's censorship of of chi of the Chinese uh, censorship of anti-Chinese government speech, which is something that which would be a legitimate worry because every major company is in fact bowing to Chinese demands for censorships and it's a huge problem. So I agree with that, but I'm less worried about it on Twitter. I mean, I'm worried about it on Twitter theoretically. I'm literally worried about it when it comes to TikTok, which is actually a Chinese company. It is the most visited social media site. It's more important than Google. It's more visited than Google. Twitter is small potatoes compared to this. And yeah, I'm, I'm tremendously worried. We wouldn't just let the Chinese, again, the Chinese authoritarian communist government own like a media company in the US. That would be crazy. So it, it is it is certainly worrisome. Now, so here's a case where I'm legitimately worried. I don't know what the good, I haven't heard good policy solutions. I think even, you know, going back to like Google or something, offering a, should should Google allow should should Google work with the Chinese government to have a censored version of Google in China? I, I think it's a kind of a hard question, even if you're only operating off the standpoint of like what's best for society. Is 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 no Google better because we're not gonna we don't want to compromise? I don't. Yeah. I, I truly don't know. These are hard questions. Well, bringing it back to the the advertising thing for a second, I mean, I would argue that it's not just better ads, right? Like the part of the process of getting that ad revenue is the attention economy, right? Which means they are incentivized to keep your attention on site quite constantly. And they do seem to do that with psychological tricks to some extent, right? At least with the red icons, the kind of uh, the slot machine uh, ideas that is often talked about, the ways that they kind of hold um, uh, the notifications so that they can give you the most uh, during times when you're not actively using it like the, the the do you feel that there are things to be concerned about that the way that maybe children or people are constantly being drawn to the phones so that they will click on the ads eventually but in the process they are becoming quite addicted to the phones or spending more time doing that versus other things but these are the same tricks that communications companies have used forever right? this is the same trick it's not fundamentally different than you know lose 30 pounds now with this one neat trick or something that goes on the front of Cosmo or whatever other magazine, right? Or whatever tricks 
uh, newspapers used to sell more newspapers to 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 uh, you know in terms of what they do with their headlines, what their content is, uh, or, or or I mean selling you know cereal or things for children, right? There's yeah, there's a lot of here's a famous character, you know, here's you know it, this has gone on forever. Why we are now suddenly say it it seems to be just the way they're talking about it now, like it now it's nefarious, now it's scary, now it's worrisome, and I'm just saying I don't know that it's all that different from what's been going on before. You know, I, I take the analogy, uh, the comparison to gambling quite seriously. I, I get that. But gambling, so most people can go to the casino and not bet away their life savings. Mm -hmm. There's a, a small number of people who they cannot gamble because they will bet. They will give away their life savings and they shouldn't gamble. But we don't have any, I mean, I'm, I, again, libertarian, I would not ban gambling. I would not ban alcohol. I would not ban substances that are addictive and, and destructive for some people, but for most people, they seem to manage it just fine. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we make policy at the level of the person who's most compromised by the thing. I mean, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't ban cigarettes. I wouldn't ban smoking and, and cigarettes have killed millions of people. How many people has Instagram actually killed? Like, what is the body count of some mm. of the, it, it's it's not millions. It's, you know, you, you can't conclusively, maybe just a handful of cases. Uh, it, it, it seems, and yet that was the rhetoric, that was what's being used. It, uh, when, uh, when the Facebook whistleblower came out, um, I heard so many major political figures likening this to, you know, big tech's big tobacco moment. Mm -hmm. This is just wildly disproportionate. Again, these these are products that actually have killed lots and lots yeah. of people. Uh, it, it's uh, so the the panic just doesn't match the actual real world result, unless you really think that. I guess unless you really think that social media has, you know, so broken our democracy, or that all violence and harassment in society is is at root social media. I am going to keep pushing on it a bit here, though, because I mean, it sure, is different sure. that it is different that the the technology is now in your pocket and customized to the person, right? Rather than a broad, I hope this hits some people advertising thing that you maybe come across in a newspaper or during a commercial, right? Like, isn't the fact that it's in your pocket, vibrating every time something happens, it's super accessible. I mean, it's not like a casino, casino, right, where you choose to just not go to that building that's 30 minute drive away it's in your pocket always there's got to be some kind of significant difference there sure i right do i worry that my attention span is becoming like way too short or shorter because of this paradigm uh yeah uh, look i i, I i'm listening I, again I'm, I'm waiting for the evidence to trickle in that this has really broken our society i'm just i'm not really seeing it yet i i think that and, and again it, we're only looking at the downsides of this there's a tremendous benefit to the fact that twitter or whatever platform we're talking about has some idea of who i am and is generally trying to show me content that i want to see that i may have missed is that an unhealthy thing for some people for a lot of people sure uh you know should we discuss ways to practice especially you know especially for kids especially for for young people Right, I, I agree. Like, keep the keep the phones away from them. Talk to them about their social media use. Not having, you know, the phones. I, I think one of the big issues with them is, right, the the ease at which you can stay up all night on social media and then not get enough sleep and then be falling asleep in your classes. I mean, we need to start the school day later anyway. Uh, they're not getting enough sleep and that's bad. So yes, 
but I'm just not, I'm, but again, I'm not seeing, I'm definitely not seeing a government solution to this problem. I mean, for the, 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 the people who are supposed to, who were like trusting to come up with a legislative solution, don't even understand this technology on any level that that emerges every time Dorsey or Zuckerberg or anyone else is dragged before Congress to answer questions. Like these are, these are ancient people we have the oldest government ever. Our, our, honestly, our government has gotten older and older and older, president, senators, et cetera. They don't, they can't be trusted to, they don't understand this at all. Like they routinely demonstrate how, un, how not knowledgeable, their lack of knowledge about how these products work that I don't understand. I, I, I can't understand leaving technical matters to them. And I certainly can't understand leaving speech related matters so that what a, a panel consisting of people like Josh Hawley and Elizabeth Warren is going to decide whether speech is neutral or, or correct or like this sounds like a recipe for total disaster. Yeah. Do you think, speaking of the politics there, do you think that social media has played any role in the increase in polarization between the parties? I mostly think that the polarization predates social media and thus cannot be predominantly explained by social media. It, it seems to me like the polarization was like all the pieces were in place for just an utterly dysfunctional political environment, you know, as as early as the mid the mid 2000s. So obviously social media has certainly made it worse. I don't think it's helped our polarization at all. Um, I don't blame it entirely on social media, though. Uh, the, the ease with which like, look, a lot of Republican officials, politicians just want to be kind of pundits or talking heads and can kind of be successful, not as legislators, but as as trolls, as notable figures by playing to some social media base. And, and, and certain Democrats do the same thing. I, I think I, I mentioned Republicans because they seem to be more successful mm -hmm. at it. Uh, and, and that's not a good thing. The the, the polarization, but but it, it has to, I think it, it, I think it came before social media. And I, and I do reject, you know, you can look at non-social media communication spaces and find just absurd levels of polarization. Like mm -hmm. is, is Facebook more one-sided or polarized than, than uh, talk radio or cable news? I don't think so. You watch, depending on which, you know, ideology you are persuaded by, or if, if you watch, depending on which TV uh, cable channel you watch, you're getting, you know, a relentless 24-hour pro-Trump commercial or a relentless 24-hour anti-Trump commercial. There's no... But they're often covering social media, are they not? Well, they're... Co what do you mean by that? They're, they're I mean, just covering the news in general. But a lot of the news they cover is, like, the stuff that's happening on social media, especially with Trump. That was a big part of what right. kind of news you would see was like what was happening on social media. Sure. But if I was going to like point to our, Oh, here's where the influence of some communications property was, was bad for democracy or for our elections. It would be the, again, the, the propagandistic nature of the so-called like news TV. Mm -hmm. There are far more, right. More people on Facebook in general, I guess, but you know, the kind of the idea that it was like, Facebook groups or bots uh, under Russian influence, and that was having more of an effect than, again, the 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 places where people actually get their. You know, we're we're talking about, you know, going back to the 2016 election. We're talking about 
a small number of you know, thousands, tens of thousands of voters that decided that election for Trump in like Michigan and Pennsylvania and, and places like that. And we're talking about, you know, working class, older, white union type voters who voted for Trump when they were expected to vote for Hillary Clinton. We're talking about people who listen to a lot of Rush Limbaugh mm -hmm. and watch a lot of cable news. We're not like we're not talking about a very online group of people. So it, it, it seemed to me like it was a rush to blame the newest communication development just because it was the newest thing when really the traditional communications platforms were just as if not more responsible for that kind of dysfunction. Yeah, I guess my concern that I'm I'm circling circling the drain on here is is kind of the way that we we have a negativity bias and then we have algorithms that show us what we're biased towards. So then we end up being exposed to more negativity and it's then in our pocket, you know, pretty much constantly. So we don't really have distance from it where in the past we might have gone about our day had hours on end away from the technologies to kind of process, think, maybe calm down, talk to people who disagreed with us and have more nuance. Now it feels like we're kind of just constantly at that IV drip of outrage that we're biased towards. And it feels like that to me has some inevitable influence. Now I'm not saying we should have government do something about it per se, but I'm wondering like, do you think barring government intervention that that is a problem i think it's a problem for a subset of people whom that afflicts just the way gambling is a problem for a subset of people who go to the casino i don't think most people are as toxically plugged in to social media as you know it, as it's as the most intense users or as like donald trump himself uh most and i'm pretty plugged in i'm a you know i'm a commentator i have a youtube show i'm a writer i'm on twitter constantly it's where i get my news but you know increasingly i don't even spend i don't spend nearly as much time on twitter because it's just become it's become less enjoyable and they made some change where I, i'm pretty sure they punish off-site links now like they there's a facebook's doing this as well that if you know if you include a link to which was what i'm really trying to do is trying to get you to read some article or watch some video i created and i'm posting it on facebook and twitter and it's just it's not getting a lot of engagement. And that's not just my experience. That's like everyone in journalism's experience right now. Clearly they're punishing offsite links. So fine, I'm just having less to do with it. I, a lot of my online time is spent playing again, video games or just having you know, pleasant, pleasant interactions with people in gaming forums or with, or with friends and family. This technology has allowed me to stay connected with people and make new connections all over the world I can't imagine going back to, you know, the internet of my childhood or even the internet of, you know, my, my teen years when what, when, when MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger were my, you know, my, the only social media sites for me. Now the conversation is way more diffuse. There's way more, sometimes a daunting number of ways to keep update and talk to. Uh, and absolutely, I see the downsides. I know it's unhealthy and bad for some people. I, I, I think we should do a better job of shielding kids from it for longer so they don't develop those unhealthy habits. Definitely, we should have a kind of education or kind of literacy about how to use social media appropriately. And definitely, we should instill in kids just the reality that like, this is going to 
be around forever. I, I'm hope I'm hoping we develop a norm that we just we don't punish people anymore for what you said before you turned 18 should just be, you know, if you I don't I don't care how bad it was. I don't we we used to allow young people to screw up, learn from their mistakes, and then become normal functioning adults. And we stopped doing that. Social media has allowed us to stop doing that, but again, it's still us enforcing that. We need different norms. We need more forgiveness, more understanding, and we need to be careful, but I, I don't know what we should do beyond that. So I feel like we would be uh, making a big mistake if we didn't talk about the fact that yesterday Elon Musk did buy Twitter. What do you think about this? Do you think that this could be beneficial? Do you think this is going to be a win for free speech? Do you think this could be just uh, <laughs> more problems with a single person controlling Twitter? What are your thoughts on it? So I'm cautiously optimistic. I think, broadly speaking, this is a good thing. He seems committed to addressing what I think are the problems with Twitter. Again, I, I share uh, the, the sense that the moderation has been too aggressive, that some things that ought to be left up were taken down. You know, you can point to the Hunter Biden laptop decision, which was a travesty, which, by the way, Twitter admits was wrong. They have said, nope, that was a bad call. And there's a lot of, like, continuing frustration with them from the right and i well, what do you want them to say? they admit you were right they said you were right they're they're not so, so, like at some point you have to say okay they agree they screwed up we have to move on but you know elon has said he views twitter as a kind of town square where there should be a, a, a much more permissible range of expression uh, i think that analogy is problematic in some ways but he's welcome to try and there's a lot of improvement to make i would recommend you were listening to this, I would say, try to devolve content moderation onto the users. It, it, instead of having it in this very polarizing all or nothing, like here's what the rules are going to be. It should be if I like aggressive moderation, I should be able to check some setting where I don't see what is considered harassment or misinformation. And if I don't care, then I see it all. And, and mm -hmm. we can let each user decide that for themselves. Well, on that note, Robbie, I mean, uh, we're coming up on time here, so I want to respect yours. I appreciate you uh, spending the time with me while you're healing through your bronchitis. Um, <laughs> My pleasure. But before before we go, is there anything you'd like to, to close with? Any closing thoughts or things you'd like to just talk about, promote, maybe some new stuff you're working on? Anything at all, man? Sure. You can follow my work um, at Reason Magazine, uh, and I post a lot of it on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, and I also have a YouTube show called rising which is the publication of the hill and we actually have it, it's pretty wild what we do there i talk and say things and then my co-host doesn't agree with me and we just argue about it which is so i guess strange and novel the, the the daily beast decided they needed to write a hit piece about us that like they were so confused by the idea that you wouldn't just have on guests who always agree with the host and everyone would just agree on the same thing which is i guess all that tv news is now but we do it a little bit differently on our show, so I'd encourage people to check it out. Yeah, I respect that. The more of that, the better, in my opinion. Again, thanks, Robbie. I appreciate your time. Thank you.